0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you, worship team. Please be seated, everybody. Thank you very much. Very uh, happy to uh, introduce today uh, our speaker, Peter Ahn. Peter's a good friend of ours at New Life, good friend of mine, good friend of Rich's. Uh, Peter pastors a church uh, in New Jersey called Metro Community Church in Englewood. You ever heard of New Jersey? It's it's way over there, and uh, there are people there, and... uh, I was born in New Jersey. It's not it's a good place, all right. So uh but really Peter pastors a great church. If you ever move to New Jersey, go to his church, all right? Don't go if you live in Elmhurst, <laughs> but go if you live in New Jersey. But uh Peter uh has been pastoring here thirteen years, founded the church, and it probably is, in my opinion, one of the closest churches I can think of anywhere that that is like a real DNA of new life, like same values. Very similar vision, same DNA. Like if you go there, you'll feel like you're at New Life, you know, and, and his people come here, they feel the same way. So it's just a, it's a, it's like a real sister church of ours. Uh, Peter's priest here four times. This is, four, this is his fourth time. Some of you have you've heard him, others not. But um, just really glad to have Peter here. We're on a series on the parables and the parable to soils right now. And uh, it's just great to have him share. It's always a treat. Peter, come on forward. Let's give him a good, warm welcome. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, good afternoon. It's great for me to be here. For those who don't know, I'm actually from Elmhurst. I grew up here when I immigrated from Korea. And so coming back here kind of always feels like a homecoming for me. So it's just great for me to be here. Anyone went to PS89? Anyone? No? Okay. All right. But uh, so I, I love being in Queens and I love being, I love this church. Uh, You're senior pastor, Rich. We've become good friends. It's great to sort of have like a confidant. We get to share good things that are happening in our ministry, but also share the challenges. And we need that as pastors to connect like that. And, uh, and I have tremendous respect for him. Uh, but Pete Scazzaro, your founder here, uh, he has impacted my life in a major way. I wouldn't be in ministry. I probably would have quit in year six. If it wasn't for his work on emotionally healthy spirituality, about six, seven years ago, I walked into the sanctuary. I was on a forced sabbatical. My elders saw that I was living quite an unhealthy life and unhealthy pace. I was burning out. I was thinking about quitting. And they said, you got to go on a sabbatical. And so I did. And I found myself in this church. Pete was on sabbatical. Rich spoke, convicted my heart, still remember the message like it was yesterday, spoke on the passage of Jonah. And then afterwards, I went back and I brought the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and I went home. and It was the first book I read on my sabbatical, and it changed and transformed my life and the life of our church. It is one of the key vehicles in how we do discipleship at Metro Community Church, and I don't think there's another model out there that's better. And so I just love being here, love being with you, and this series that you are in in the parables of Jesus, we find that Jesus loved teaching in parables. That was his, one of his chief ways in how he taught. And the reason why he did that was really twofold. The first was simply because he wanted to reveal to people God's ways. He wanted that. And, that's, and parables were a good way of doing that. But the second reason why he did teach in parables is because he also not just wanted to reveal God's ways, but he wanted to conceal it as well. And in this particular passage that we're going to look at today, we find that this is a passage where Jesus was concealing God's ways So much so that the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And Jesus goes into to great lengths to, 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 in detail in explaining what this parable is all about. And so what Jesus does here for us today is that he gives us sort of a list of four different types of people that are on a spiritual journey. Now, all of you in this room, you are on a spiritual journey, whether you want to admit it or not. And I want you to... F- Be honest with yourself today and ask yourself, which one of the four do you belong to? Which one of the four types do you belong to today? If you can be honest with yourself today, I do believe this can be one of the more significant moments in your life. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter eight. We're going to look at verses four and following. Luke chapter eight, verses four and following. It says, while a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told his parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than we than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that... Though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, we come to you today. We ask you that you would speak to us through this text. It's not an easy passage. It is a hard one for us to grasp and be honest with, but I pray that as we can do that, as we enter into that kind of honesty with you, Lord, that you would help us to, be the, to make you the center of it all in our lives. I pray, God, that more than ever for some who desperately need to hear this, God, that you would be so tangible, so real, so concrete in their lives, that they would fall on their knees and surrender their life to you today. And so I pray, God, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. And so what we learn in this story is that there are many obstacles to our faith. Faith is not easy. I don't know if you think it's an easy endeavor, but it's not. It's difficult. In fact, your worship leader just confessed during the worship service that she's been struggling as well. And so faith is a challenge. It's not an easy thing. And if you think faith is easy, I don't know if you really believe in God. Because it is an absolute challenge for us. And we find that in this story, Jesus is the the farmer. He is the sower, right? Who is this? What's this? Who's the seed? The seed is the word of God. Now, the word of God isn't necessarily the Bible, it can be, but it really is this revelatory message or the gospel message of Jesus Christ that God loves you so much that He entered into human history 2,000 years ago and died for you on the cross, resurrected from the dead. And those who believe in this will have life, not just. Eternally, but have true life here on earth. If you believe in that truth, it has tremendous ramifications and implications for your life today. Do you believe in that? Amen? Amen? You must believe in that because it has tremendous impact, transformational impact in your lives. Now, the soil then is us. And what Jesus is saying here is that this message, the word of God, the seed will always stay the same. But how that seed grows depends upon the soil. And he says there are four different types of soil, meaning there are four different types of people. And what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, which one of the four am I today? And the first one that he says, he says the first soil is the road soil, or we can say the soil or the path soil. In verse 5, he says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. He interprets it in verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. These are people who hear God's word, who hears the promises of God, but yet they don't believe in it. You don't don't believe in the promises that God has given to you and for me. In fact, the reason why you don't believe it really is because there is an enemy, the devil that continues to play with your heart and your mind to trick you, to, be, to make you to believe that God doesn't exist, that he has no power to impact your life and my life today. The devil is at work. For some of us, we grew up in a charismatic tradition and you kind of understand when we talk about Satan or or the devil working in our lives. Some of you understand that because you kind of grew up in a tradition that taught you quite a bit about the devil. And I think if we're in that side of that tradition, that's a good thing, but you got to be careful because sometimes being in a tradition like that, we give the devil way too much credit. Way too much credit. We give him way too much power and authority. Everything becomes about him. And the Bible teaches us that if Jesus Christ lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and you cry out in the name of Jesus, Satan has nothing else but to do but to kneel and bow down even to you. Not because it's you, but because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. That's how much power and authority God has over Satan and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, meaning that you have that kind of authority if you say in the name of Jesus. But there's so many of us, you never think about Satan. You don't ever see that there is an invisible war happening in your life every single day. That Satan's job is to get you to never believe and to convince you that God doesn't exist, that this whole thing is a farce, it's a lie, he can't do much for you. And that's very dangerous. You see how Satan's sort of greatest way in how he works in our lives. Some of us, we often think about Satan. When we think about it, we think it should, like Satan is like there to like destroy our lives, like the movie Exorcist. We think it's like, you know, this demon possession and we go crazy and people get scared of us, things like that. But that's not really how Satan works today. Do you know how Satan works? His job is to make you lukewarm towards God. Very apathetic towards him. That you really have no desire for God. That you may even come. Maybe you come because you want your kids to go to children's ministry today. But you hear this from week in and week out and it just does nothing for you because you're just apathetic. You don't care. You really don't. Is that you? Are you this soil on the road? Are you the soil on the road? Be honest with yourself. The second one, the second soil, is the rocky soil. The rocky soil. And he goes into explaining what this is. Some fell on rocky ground in verse 6. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And then he interprets this in verse 13. He says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. And when they hear it, but they have no roots, they believe for a while. But in time of testing, they fall away. They fall away, all right? Uh, this this soil are people who actually do believe in God. You, you believe in who he is, but whenever there is a difficult circumstance, whenever there is a, a season of suffering that goes on in your life, the pressure amounts so much that you decide to walk away from your faith in him, that you question God because maybe you believe and your understanding of God should be such that he is there to prevent evil things from happening in your life. And that when that doesn't happen, you use God as a coping mechanism and you start to blame him for the things that are happening in your life. You believe that God is supposed to protect you from suffering in this world. That's completely incongruent to what the gospels teach us. Jesus says that if you're a follower of him, you got to carry the cross and follow him, right? And for some of you, you've dropped your cross along the way. And you think all of a sudden now that God's supposed to bless you and prevent bad things from happening in your life. But we live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, suffering is just a part of life. How are you going to engage in that? For many, for, the, for this particular type of people, they just sort of say, God, I don't want anything to do with you, and they walk away. Because they don't believe God's love because a terrible thing has happened in their lives. You see, I think these are types of Christians that, uh, that a sociologist, a friend of mine, Peter Cha says, are Christians who've just inherited their faith from their parents. How many of you in this room are second or third generation Christians? Meaning you're not the first generation Christian in your family. You're like the second or third generation. Let me see your hands. I'm one of them as well. All right. Quite a bit of you, right? Guess what? That's a beautiful thing because you grew up in the church, but you know what? You're also in a lot of danger. You're in a precarious situation. He's done this study, Dr. Peter Chai, he's done this study on second and first generation Christians. And he's noticed that there's a major difference between first generation Christians and second generation Christians. And the difference is in the thing of ownership of their faith. He says first generation Christians have no problems taking ownership of their faith. They find it to be a lot easier than second, third, fourth generation Christians. The second, third, fourth generation Christians, they've inherited their faith from their parents, which is a good thing. But they haven't taken that step of taking ownership of their faith. And how do you know that? By what Jesus says about the second soil. That whenever a pressure happens, whenever difficulty happens in their lives, what do they do? They say, you know what, God? It's all your fault. I don't believe in you. And they walk away from God. Right? Why is that? Because the faith was never yours. It was your parents' faith. You just kind of assumed it. You just kind of took it on, but you never really grabbed it. You never really took ownership of your faith. It's my prayer for all of you. You've been given a gift And that gift is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What does he want you to do with that gift? He wants you to take it and take ownership of it. That this just isn't your mama's faith. It's your faith too. And Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with our Father in heaven. The rocky soil struggles with that. And that's why when there's pressure, because they just sort of inherited their faith from their parents, they just walk away because they haven't taken ownership. Is that you? Are you the second soil, the rocky soil? The third soil is the thorn soil. The thorn soil. Look at verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Then he interprets this in verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. The key thing that you need to underline is this. They do not Mature. These are people who believe in Jesus. You believe in God. I think this is the majority of us, if I can be honest, is that we come here because we believe in Jesus Christ. But here's the barrier for us. We do not mature. We just don't mature. Why? Because there are some distractions. The first thing is worry. Worry prevents us from maturing. And you know what I've learned about worry over the years? Worry is a generational sin. If you worry a lot, just ask yourself, hey, did my mom and dad worry a lot? Or did my grandparents worry a lot? Because if that happened, like, I guess you I'm pretty sure that you worry quite a bit. And I'm not saying that worry is a bad thing, right? Because that's part of our humanity. To worry is part of being a human being. But for some of you, your worry has become bigger than God. And when you worry, and when you worry and your worry gets as big as God, then God can't be your provider. That's why you can't mature. So what are you worrying about today? What are you fixated on? Some of our worries can be so trivial at times, right? Some of us, we get so caught up on like, you know, how many people are following us on Instagram and Twitter? Like my kids sometimes, you know, my daughter is 15, and she wants to make sure that she has like over 100 likes at everything she posts on Instagram. I'm like, why are you worried about that? It's weird. It could be trivial. But for some of you, your worry is deep. It goes real deep. Some of you worry about your kids as you get older. And you say, man, when my child was born, it was like a child of the promise. I believe God was going to do great things through this kid. And now that as they're older and they're in their adult years, they're kind of living a wayward life. And now you're worried constantly, like what's going to happen to them? And you're so worried about your child that that worry has become bigger than God. For some of you, you're worried about being single for the rest of your life. And I get it. I get it. The church is not necessarily the most inviting place where singles can come and feel good about this stage in their life, right? And feel good about it. And sometimes we feel like, man, what's, what's, I need to get married. And, and when you go to family reunions, I mean, it's not like a happy family reunion. Because they look at you and like, what's wrong with you? How come you're not married? <laughs> I... And you feel the pressure and the weight of that. And because you worry so much, because that worry of being single for the rest of your life, you make compromises. You start dating people who aren't even Christian. You start having sex with people that you shouldn't be having sex with. But you do because you're afraid that perhaps if you say no, that maybe they'll break up with you and leave you. And so you make those compromises because you worry so much. For some of you, you're so worried about your like your spouse. You're worried about never being happy with that person. You're thinking like, I cannot believe I got to be married to this person for the rest of my life, right? Like they promised you certain things, and you, and you said, "Man, they, he promised me that he would be like this, but he's not doing this, or she's not doing this." And you think like your marriage is like a prison sentence, right? And the sentence is to death do you part? <laughs> like I got to be with this person to the day I die. This is crazy. You know what? You guys are at a great church that can help you with that. Take full advantage of what this church offers and devote a lot of time, energy, and money invested in your marriage. You're in a great place for that. Some of you are worried about your, your, about your health. You, you get consumed about that. And I get it. I understand. You're afraid to die, and you want to be as healthy as you can. I get that. Some of you are so consumed about work. And and you know what I find with like people my age and the Gen Xers and the millennials and stuff? They, they want to make sure that their work is so fulfilling. I get that. But I think that what a lot of young people do today is that they want it to be so fulfilling that it takes the place of God. That's dangerous. You see, when my parents immigrated from Korea to Elmhurst, They just found any job that would pay them. They weren't thinking about fulfillment. All they thought about was, how do I support this family of mine? Now, I'm not saying that that's the right posture necessarily, but there's got to be a balance because I feel like we're in the other extreme. That for many of us, if we don't find any fulfillment in work, we just want to quit. We go from job to job. We call in sick multiple times a month, right, because we just can't stand being there. And we try to find so much fulfillment out of it where your fulfillment should come from God. and And as you experience that fulfillment in God, your work becomes more meaningful. It's not necessarily about the work, maybe. But maybe it's about your posture and how you f- find and how much hope you try to find in your jobs. And so you worry about never being happy with your work. And so worry becomes this barrier for you to mature in God prevents you from being good soil. And then the other thing is pleasure. Pleasure is a big thing here. Now, let me just kind of share this because for some of you in this room, you're actually pretty bad with pleasure because you work so much. You're like a slave. You're like back in Egypt. And you don't even know it, but you're a slave to your job. And so as a result of that, if I were to ask you, what do you do for fun? You're like, I don't don't know. I haven't had fun in years. (laughs) And that's not good. You need to have some fun in life. Because God didn't just create you to work. He created you so that you can enjoy him. And part of enjoying him is having fun. All right, having fun. So that's a big part of that. But there's a lot of us where we are so into pleasure where it causes us to sin in a very deep way. All right, like there's nothing wrong with a game of golf. If you played this morning, you played around, and that's why you come to the afternoon service to get around in. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. It's not a bad thing. But if that is your source and you find so much pleasure in that, more than God, then it's idolatry. Yes. And sometimes you'll compromise even relationships for sport. And that's dangerous. That is dangerous. I love cycling. I consider myself to be a cyclist. But like, I gotta catch myself and say, I gotta be careful that I don't take it to another extreme where I neglect my family because I wanna go ride my bike. And I love to ride my bike and I try to do it a couple times a week. So you gotta be careful. And then the other thing about pleasure is some of you find a lot of pleasure in your sin. And I get it. Sin can be so delicious, but I'll never satisfy. And if you think that living in sin is going to satisfy you then, and you really believe that that's going to lead to a life of fulfillment, then I encourage you to keep doing it. Because I think the more you do, you'll come to realize that it just doesn't. And hopefully you'll come and connect with God and realize that you really need him at the end. Pleasures will prevent us from maturing in God because we try to find pleasure outside of God. And that's dangerous. The, other, the, last, the last thing is riches. Money, mamon, is what we call that, right? Jesus taught more about money than anything else in the, in the gospels. Why? Was he so fixated on it? No, because he knows how that can be one of the greatest barriers to you and I maturing in God. And so let me ask you, how are you with money? All of you here in this room, you know how wealthy you are compared to the world? That when you compare your net worth to the world, you guys are loaded. But a lot of us, you know, we always want more. We live in a culture that always says you don't have enough, and so we always feel like we don't. And when we look at some people in the church who we know have money, we compare our wealth with their wealth, and we just say, this is this is ridiculous. I'm smarter. I went to a better school. Why is this guy making more money than me? And we start getting angry about that. We start looking at what people are wearing, what people are driving. We start comparing and saying, what about me? When is it going to be my turn, God? And we get so fixated on stuff and we want to buy all this stuff because we feel like the stuff then will affirm who we are and we just get into that place of just buying things and spending. And listen, if you want to know where your heart is today, look at your credit card statements and your checkbook. It will reveal where your heart is today. I do believe and I believe in this with all my heart that God blesses you with a job and gives you an income not so that you can continue to increase your standard of living but he wants to increase your standard of giving. That you would ask yourself, what could I do? I hope that you know that God will bl- you. know, you can make a lot of money without God. You really can. You can. A lot of you are so smart, you can make a ton of money without him. But if you want God to bless you and help you with it, why would he give you more money if he can't trust you with it? If you're just using it for yourself, why would he give you more money? It makes no sense. If you want God to bless you financially, you got to be willing to give it away. And so the best way to do that, and I've taught this in both services, make sure that you, you set this precedence to tie to your church, yes. that you're giving 10%, knowing that 100% of what you make is not yours, it's God's, yes. and that you're tied to the church for the 10, and that you'll give increasingly above and beyond to other things and the other things of God. Your worries, your riches, your pleasures become your greatest barrier to maturing and being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, this all three, all three here. If you're one of the three, here's the thing. You're not a Christian because this is a parable of judgment because all three don't survive. They wither and die eventually. But there's good news because you don't have to stay there. The good news is that you can be good soil, all right? Look at verse 8. Good soil is the fourth one. And, you know, I love Jesus because I live in the world of superlatives, and so, like, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't be teaching you to be good soil. I would be teach you to be fantastic soil, great soil, perfect soil. But what does Jesus say? Be good soil. Just be good soil. And, you know, good soil also has weeds, right? Good soil does have weeds. All right, here we go. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. It says, still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produces a crop. That is good soil. A good soil is not much different from the other soils. Is that we all go through hardships and trials, but here's what the good soils do. They persevere. They endure. They don't blame God for why life is so difficult. They don't question his existence. Maybe you can, you can. But you still say, God, I'm going to hold fast to you. I'm going to persevere no matter how hard life gets. And you know when they do that, you know what you end up experiencing as you hold on to God, as you're struggling through life? You experience God's redemptive hand. Because there cannot be a resurrection without a death. And a lot of times we go through these death kind of situations and we wonder what's happening and we walk away from our faith in God, but you got to persevere and stick it through. Because if you can, there is a redemption that awaits you and I. Stay firm on God. Persevere. What we learn about this fourth soil is that it doesn't happen overnight. It's a journey. Like if any of you garden, when you plant a seed in good soil, does it sprout overnight? No. It takes time, time and time again for that to grow. And so what we learn here is that this is for the long haul. That I wish there was a, a, an app that you could download on your phone where it could just make you good soil right away. But this is going to take time. It's going to take years as you're in this journey. And thank God, because God is going to work with you and me as we go through life and as we journey through life in that way. In that way, there was a woman in our church on Mother's Day. She shared about her infertility and she said that she hated going to church on Mother's Day because she couldn't have a child. It was very hard for her. She tried everything. She tried in vitro multiple times. She had went to prayer services, had people pray for her, lay hands on her, everything, and she did not get a child. And when she came to church and she saw everyone pregnant and kids running all around, She often said, God, what about me? What did I ever do in this life to deserve this? And she wanted a child so bad. And she shared on that Mother's Day, she got up on stage, and she said, you know, a greater miracle happened in my life than just having a child. God didn't give me a child, but he gave me something greater. And that greater thing is that I still know that God loves me. See, that's redemption, persevering and experiencing a redemptiveness of God that the outcome may not have been what she wanted, but she still knew that her God loved her because she persevered and she saw the beautiful love and work and grace of God upon her life. So how do we become good soil? How do we become good soil? There are two things I have for you. The first thing is this. you got to make time to listen to the word of God. you got to make time to listen to the word of God. Let's look at verse 15. Verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produces a crop, all right? Understand the progression. How are you going to be able to persevere? You cannot persevere if you don't hear God's word. Impossible, right? The only way you're going to be able to persevere is when you're listening to the word of God. Then you can retain it and you can persevere through difficult moments in your life. That is so key here. And so how do we do that? How do we do a few things that helped me over the years? The first thing is this, The scripture. You gotta get in the Bible. And I would say not just read the Bible, but you gotta learn to meditate on the Bible. That's different. Because many of us read it, but don't just read it, meditate on it. How do you meditate on God's Word? Ask, I simply say, God, what are you, what am I learning about you in this passage? What am I learning about God and Jesus in this passage? And the second question I ask myself is, God, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do? That's kind of what helps me to meditate on scripture. That's key. That helps me to listen to the word of God. The other things that help you to listen to the word of God, I encourage you to take advantage of the things that are offered here in this church. In two weeks, you have a marriage seminar that you can attend. That's an amazing way for you to learn and hear of God's word as you attend these things. Uh, you have Pete Scazzaro teaching emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationship in this church every year. Do you know how spoiled you are? You know how lucky you are to have this guy teach this stuff? Like if he did this at our church, forget about it. People go crazy, bananas over it. right? We do it as well. We teach it and it's still well received. But you have the guy who came up with this stuff teaching it every year. I want to encourage you to make sure you sign up for that. Because EHS is so key because it helps you to live more of a contemplative, slow down life. To incorporate rest so that you can let God minister to you. That's how you hear from him. You have to do that, and the other ways are really in the form of just one-on-one, life-on-life type relationships. I would say a spiritual mentor is key. You need to have a spiritual mentor that you can sit with, talk with. They know you. They can help you process some things. The other thing that's very helpful for me is a, is a Christian counselor. My Christian counselor acts as my spiritual mentor. That I go and this person helps me to make sense of some things in my life. And I'm not a, I'm not afraid to admit that I go see a counselor because. It's, it's like, you know, Pete said once, it's an emotional spa. I mean, when he said that, I said, I love going to spas. <laughs> I wouldn't mind getting an emotional spa. That kind of sounds pretty cool. But it really is like that, all right? Um, and the third thing, the, the other thing that helps me to hear God's word and to listen to God's word is that I have a soulmate. Now, that's not just my wife. But a soulmate is somebody from the same sex where I think you, I believe you should get together with at least twice a month and you confess the darkest areas to your soul. This person knows everything about you, that you don't hide anything, that you realize that the pathway to holiness isn't about what you do what you don't do, but the pathway to holiness is found through transparency. Because when you're that broken and weak, that's when God's grace is most powerfully at work in your life. And do you have people in your life where you are confessing your sins to regularly? You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that if you're only confessing your sins to your, if if you're confessing your sins to God only, he says you're really not confessing your sins to God. You're just confessing it to yourself, because says that's why you keep sinning over and over. He says if you really want God to forgive you of the sin that you commit or committed, you should always confess it in the presence of someone else, because Jesus says in the Gospels, He says when two or more are gathered in My name, I'll be there. And so if the greatest way in how you experience God's presence is through another person, then why wouldn't you confess your sins in the presence of someone else because Jesus promises to be there? So we have to learn to confess our sins regularly to people. I think the Catholics have it right. Because at least, you know, in their understanding of discipleship, you should go and confess your sins to a priest regularly. At least they're confessing to someone. And we Protestants, we got to do better with this you got to find some people that you can confess, just one or two people that you can confess your sins to so that they can keep you accountable and they confess their sins to you so you can keep them accountable and that you can hear God's word together as you live in that kind of intimacy. You cannot be a lone ranger Christian. You need others to grow. You really do. And then the very last thing that allows us to be good soil is shining God's light. Shining God's light. Oops. I'm sorry. I went over there. All right. Verse, uh, verse 16. Verse 16. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have what even what they think they have will be taken from them. Again, this is a reminder of God's judgment. Judgment. God's judgment, and God will hold you and I accountable for our actions, and also he'll hold you accountable for our inactions, and we have to realize that, and he's talking about the light of God, that you and I should be sharing this light with other people, that we have it within us, that why would we hide that inside of a jar, why would we put that under a lampstand, that we should put it on top and let it shine so that people can see the light of God, why do we hide it, why do we not want to share the light of God with other people? Does it? do you have a desire to want to be used by God where you can shine the light that God has given to you so that you can make a difference in the lives of other people? Do you realize that there are millions of people that woke up this morning in the borough of New York and they really wondered if there was any hope in this life for them? Does that grab your heart at all? You see, one of the things that you've undervalued is the importance of how your faith can grow and how you can mature in God when you allow your light to be used by God. We have so undervalued that, devalued that, and that we don't really care about it. We think faith is just about us, that we just grow for ourselves for our own benefit, but no, it was never meant for that. It was always meant for you to also share that light with other people so that as they come in contact with that light, that they would realize, you know what, I need some of that light in me. That's why you're here today. And that's part of being a Christian and maturing in God. That's part of being good, healthy soil. And you have no idea how that would encourage your faith. When you, when you realize that God could use your light to make a difference in the lives of other people, then the question is, then what is your light? What is the light that God wants you to share? It's your brokenness. That's what it is. God wants you to share your brokenness. How broken you are, how broken I am. Because only when we're broken can God's light shine outside of us. When we're whole and we want try to pretend to be whole, His light cannot emanate outward. It's being broken. And the quicker we as Christians realize that the light that God has given us is this brokenness, because when we experience, when we can share that brokenness, then the redemption and the beauty of who God is in our lives, the grace and the and and the forgiveness that we've received in our lives, because in spite of our brokenness, is so beautiful. Easter is beautiful because we know what happened on Good Friday. Could you imagine if we didn't know how Jesus died and he just resurrected? I mean, you think that would be as powerful? We know because we know what happened in Good Friday. So you're willing to embrace the Good Friday moments in your life today and let that be light into this world. Because everyone in this world that doesn't have Jesus and they go through brokenness, broken situations, you know what they see that as? Darkness and death. And it's your brokenness that can illuminate light and show them that there's hope even in the midst of despair. I, uh, I consider myself to be quite an optimistic kind of guy. And um, you know when you get to know me, you'll find that I can be optimistic at times. Sometimes my friends don't like to even, sometimes I've been learning that they don't like to share some things with me because they always say that. I'll say, you know what, you'll be okay. God will take care of you. And they feel like I'm a little too positive. And you know, sometimes people need just a shoulder to cry on and say, that's horrible. Let's just sit and cry together. Right. And sometimes I can struggle with that a little bit. And so, you know, so I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic kind of guy. But all my life, as I, as I've been doing EHS and looking at my genogram, um, I, I've struggled. My family line has struggled with anger and I've been doing a lot of battle with it. And I think I've been quite successful at it in all honesty. And I'm not just trying to brag, but I've been going to counseling, working at this stuff. And, uh, and so, like, I have a very long fuse. I get annoyed. I can get annoyed quite easily. But annoyance is not necessarily anger, right? It could be a trigger point to anger, but I, I can get annoyed. But anger, like, turning into the Incredible Hulk, I haven't done that in years. All right? But when I do become the Incredible Hulk, like Bruce Banner, and I start turning green, you better get out of my way because it's ugly. And the path of destruction is there. And uh, and so that fuse is so long. But last month, I became the Hulk. And just to share with you, it was this incident on my 11-year-old boy, Christian. And uh, it was a long day of ministry. I was really tired. I was tired because the night before, I couldn't sleep because I got word that I'm coaching my son's Little League team. And I was so excited about that news, I couldn't sleep at night. And so I literally pulled an all-nighter. And I know that's kind of weird but you know I just I was I really wanted to coach his team. And so uh, and so I was tired I ended up you know going into the office meeting up with different people and and working and I left my office about 5:30 I was just exhausted my wife calls me on the way home from work and she says I'm so angry at Christian. I said why? He got a 67 on his social studies test. And the reason why she was so upset was because he didn't study. He never studies. She's lectured him time and time again to sit down and apply herself and study. And he says, okay, but he never does it. He always goes out to the park and plays with his friends. That's all he cares about. The only thing he focuses on is life. And so she goes, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna teach him a lesson. And so I was like, Whoa, okay. She seemed really angry. So I said, you know what? Let me talk to him. So I get home, and I, you know, my job is like one town over from where I live, it's like five minutes away. Hers is about an hour away from home. So I had a head start. And so I get home, I go up to the room, and he's crying. And I'm like, Whoa, why are you crying? And he showed me what you know, mommy texted him. She was texting him very mean emojis. All right. <laughs> Scary emojis of like, you know, Satan with the horns and ah, anger emoji. You know? And so, like, you know, he's a very sensitive kid. He saw that and he's thinking, I'm dead because mom never sends me these kinds of emojis. And so I knew I had to be serious with him. I said, hey, you know, you got to stop this. You got to really apply yourself. You can't just always think about having fun. You got to sit and really study hard and apply yourself because you're a smart kid. If you brought home a 67 because you studied, we'd be fine with it. He said he'll do better. And so I thought I did a good job. And so my wife comes home eventually. I said, hey, everything's taken care of. I don't think you got to talk to him. We're cool. I'm a little tired. Can I take a quick 30-minute nap before dinner? You know, I was like, I'm just going to take a quick, quick nap. And so I went into my room, and I was ready to go to bed for about 30 minutes. And she walks into the room, just kind of disregarding that. She says, Christian, come down here with your test. And so he comes down. And I'm already starting to get irritated because, like, I want to sleep. And she's disciplining my son in front of me. In my room, and so he brings it down, and she's and you know at his school, you have to sign. The parent have to sign the test, and my wife said, "I'm not going to sign this test. In fact, I'm going to rip this test." And, I'm, and, and and when he when she started to try, pretend to rip, he started to start crying. He's like, "No, don't do that." And then that was kind of like a trigger point for me. I'm like, "What are you doing? What what kind of discipline is this?" And then she, then she says, "You know what? I'm not going to rip it. I'm just going to crinkle up the paper." And then when she started crinkling up the paper. That was it, I became the Hulk. It was the trigger and all of a sudden I just said, stop! (laughs) She looked at me like, what's wrong with you? And you know, the reason why I got so angry was because at least my son had the integrity to bring it to his parents and say, will you sign this? When I was his age and I got a bad grade, I didn't show it to my parents, I signed it myself. (laughs) Right, how many of you have done that? So I said, at least he did it. At least he tried. And, you know, he said, I need you to sign it. He didn't forge it. So I felt like we got to give him some credit. And so I just got so angry because I just thought, what would happen if he brought that to school and he showed his teacher a crinkled up test and no signature? Like how bad he would feel. And so I got so angry. And I couldn't get really angry at my wife because I'm a little scared of her, Uh, (laughs) to be quite honest. And so all the anger got placed. The Hulk came for this 11-year-old little boy. And I just said to him, I said, Christian... Going forward, if you bring home any grade lower than a 95, I said, I'm going to beat you. I said that. And then I said, did you read today? He said, no, I didn't read. I said, that's your problem. You're never proactive about doing things. You know you got to read 40 minutes a day. That's what your teacher said. I said, get upstairs and you got to read for the next hour. And I said, if you don't have perfect posture, I'm going to put your head through the wall. He ran up. And my wife said, what is wrong with you? And I said, your method doesn't work. You lecture him, and he never studies. And because I was still so angry, I said, the only thing that's going to work with this kid is you've got to scare the life out of him. And she just kind of walked away. And after that moment, after I finally settled down, you know, the Hulk became Bruce Banner again, I was ashamed. And I was traumatized at how angry I got at my 11-year-old kid, a kid that I would die for, but yet at that moment, I had feelings of violence towards him. I was so ashamed I couldn't even eat dinner with my kids and my wife, and I was quiet. And usually I'm the life of the party around the dinner table. I go into my room. I just turn on the TV, watch a couple innings of the Yankee game, and I fall asleep really early, depressed. Wake up the next morning and thank God, God's mercies are new for me every morning. I get my Bible and I say, God, I really screwed up last night you have to speak to me. I need to hear your word. And I'm reading the one-year Bibles. I'm just going through a systematic way, reading God's word and meditating on it. And I get to Proverbs 16, verses 12 through 13. And this is what it says. Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks the truth. I kept chewing on that. Kings take pleasures in honest lips. They value the ones who speak the truth. I knew what I had to do. I went upstairs and I went before my son. And I said, Christian, I'm so sorry for how angry I got at you. I'm sorry for saying all those threatening comments. And I said, Will you forgive me? And he said he would. And then for the next hour, we actually had a semi adult conversation about why he's not applying himself in school. And he was asking me, how can he do better? Thankful for that moment. Got together with my wife, and I apologized for me being so angry and kind of blowing up in front of her and Christian. I called my counselor, and I said, hey, Dr. B, I need to meet with you because I got to talk to you about this because this doesn't make so much sense to me right now. My soulmate texted me that weekend and said, hey, how you doing? Just checking on you, buddy. And I had to call him. And I confessed what I did. And I said, Jeff, I need you to keep me accountable that I will never do that again. You see, being good soil, it doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. You are. But the challenge is, are you going to react to the sin or are you going to respond to it? Reacting to sin is you compensating for what you just did by sinning more. It's like if I would have gotten drunk that night because I was so depressed about what I did. It was as if maybe if I logged on to a pornographic website to try to just medicate what I was feeling about myself because I felt like such a failure. That's reacting to sin. And we do that all the time when we fall and when we sin. But you know what good soil does? They respond to sin. They go to God and say, God, can you speak to me because I need to hear from you right now because I feel like a failure. Then I'm willing to go see a counselor and figure out what's going on because I was so angry at my son that I would sit and confess that to a friend of mine and say, I need you to keep me accountable. You see, that's good soil because then my son got a chance to see that I connected with God and that he was able to exercise grace to me because I did something wrong to him. See, that's the light of God. And that's the light that God wants you and I to share. You see, your light is not the spiritual perfection that so many of us grew up in the church thinking that we need to portray to the world. Your light is your brokenness. And so will you be broken today? Will you be broken and will you let God's light shine in you so that when others come and see that and they see God's redemptive hand that you've been forgiven, that you've been redeemed, that there's hope in the midst of your darkness, will will you allow God to use you so that they could say, I want that light in me because I can't keep living in this darkness anymore? My hope is that you would be good soil today because if you choose not to take that route and be light in that way, you're going to be the bad ones that Jesus talks about. And Jesus says those eventually wither and they perish. May you be good soil today, church. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And I want to just give you a brief moment to just embrace the light, meaning embracing your brokenness right now. And as you do that, I'm just going to pray for us. I'll give you just a few moments to do that. Just embrace your brokenness. Go to God. Confess it. And say, I need you right now to speak and minister to me. That good soil doesn't mean you're perfect, you're going to mess up. There's weeds in the good soil, but it's about you saying, I need to hear from you, God. Speak to me. Having others involved in your spiritual journey. And be willing to share that brokenness with others so that they can see God's light shine in your brokenness. So I'm just going to give you a moment to do that and then I'm going to close this in prayer. Mm-hmm. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so, God, I pray for all my brothers and sisters, God, as they embrace their weaknesses, their brokenness, that you would renew their strength. That they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, that you don't expect perfection out of us but you just expect us to embrace our brokenness so that we can come to the realization of how much we need you in our lives. That's where redemption happens. That's when we can find hope, even in our brokenness. And so God, would you come and bless my brothers and sisters today by your presence and presence alone and give us a passion, a hunger, an unwavering discipline to have your presence in our lives. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Listening to Peter, I just—I'm so thankful for grace. I'm not you. I'm on soil number four, good soil. All of a sudden, I find myself on two and three. And I hard my heart, I find myself on one. But thank God for grace. Thank God for grace and the ability to persevere to stay with Jesus. I thank God for His power, for the Holy Spirit, for He offers us His resources. So let me ask you as we close here. Where are you, like, now? Like, are are you soil number one? I mean, your heart's just shut down. I mean, you're here. That's good. That's wonderful. You know, are you soil two where you're just mad at God because things aren't going well? You know, you're just on rocky soil. And, uh, you know, you've just not taken the time to to get any depth as a follower of Christ. You've let yourself just, you know, kind of just be carried around. And maybe you're too. And... But I suspect a lot of us are on a third thorny soil. I mean, we've just got things choking out the word, whether it's pleasures, whether it's riches, and a lot of worry. And uh, you're saying, oh my gosh. And, uh, and so, or, or are you for? Are you in a good place? You know, you're good soil. And I like that Peter, he said, it's not fantastic. Just, Jesus says, just be good soil. Just stay with it. You know, you fall, you get up, and you receive forgiveness, but just stay with it. And that's, that's the greatness of the 12 disciples. They were a mess, but you know what? They stayed in there. They just, Peter stayed in there. They quit on Jesus. They stayed afterward. They received forgiveness, and they stayed with it. And so we're here together as a, as a family because we want to support each other to stay in there. You fall, that there's grace and forgiveness in Jesus, to get up and stay with Jesus. And he loves you. And I thank God for the Holy Spirit and his power today. Oh, gosh. So listen, God loves you. We love you. And as we close here, I just, I want to invite you to open up your heart, whatever you are on the soils today, and say, okay, Lord, you know, forgive me, Father, for letting some rocks and thorns get in there. Forgive me, Lord. Give me power. Grant me grace. Grant me forgiveness. Uh, I want to get up today, and I want to, Lord, I want you to move me to good soil. Give me a soft, tender heart, Lord. Help me persevere, because I can't persevere without you. I mean, how are you going to persevere through the battle of life without God? We can't. We're that dependent on him every moment. So as we close, I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward to your right and the Lord's table to your left. And basically, do you realize these are resources, the Lord's table, you know, eat and drink of the blood of Christ and the bread and because we need his power to stay or to be good soil. I, we, I, apart from him, I can do nothing. You know, we come forward for prayer because I need Jesus. I mean, help. I mean, that is the great posture of the Christian life, as Peter said. So wealthy, well end. there's only broken people who shine, and not the arrogant and the proud who got it all together. And so we want—we always love—we love having prayer ministry at the end because we just—I need. And so whatever your need is today, you just come. Someone came to me at the first service. She goes, "I'm soil number one. You know, I'm just—I'm one." And I I thought it was just beautiful. And she said, I I just need prayer and I want to receive Christ. I thought that was just phenomenal. So wherever you are today, our prayer teams will be here to pray for you. All right. So thank you and uh, thank God for that beautiful word. So I want to invite you to open your hands up towards heaven. And uh, we'd like to close with a blessing because God sees you and he loves you. He loves you right where you are today. You may be hard soil. He loves you and he's pursuing you. And if you're two and three, he loves you right where you are. So hands open. Just receive a blessing, not a curse, but a blessing this day. So may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord hold you close to his heart. And may God grant you the grace right now to open up your heart. And to receive the Holy Spirit's filling now. May you receive his love, may you receive his power may you receive his forgiveness may you be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of God and may God enable you to persevere to stay with Jesus even when everything in you wants to run away and may God keep you today and tomorrow and every day the rest of your life and may he give you the grace to say help every moment of every day abiding and staying with Jesus so be blessed as you leave this place and be filled and may good fruit come out of your soil and bless your friends, your family, your co-workers, your schoolmates uh, your children, be blessed as you go out of here may fruit just come out of you that you don't even know where it's coming from So we bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, everybody, thank you.